Welcome to the LearnMaker Podcast. These are not the apps you're looking for. A in-depth series exploring how teachers can improve learning with technology. Hello and welcome to the first episode of These Are Not The Apps You're Looking For. This is a podcast and YouTube channel where we're going to be looking at how teachers can better use technology around iPads and tablet devices and how apps are sort of leading the way. Our take on it is the, the pedagogy approach and how you develop your own schemes of work. I'm Jay and this is James. And today we're going to talk about the trouble with app smashing. So to begin, James, what is app smashing? All right, so essentially app smashing is where you get a whole load of apps together, bang them all together, and then you produce something creative at the end of it. Um, so a couple of examples, a nice simple okay. one, yeah. basically making a nice little poster, using the camera, taking a photo, bang it in something like Instagram, putting a filter on it, saving that to the camera roll, and then sticking it into pages where you okay. make a poster. So that sounds pretty useful in school. So, yeah. so uh, what, what might the trouble be with app smashing? What, what would be complex? Okay, yeah, so sort of like difficult things with it, I suppose, are there are loads of apps. So essentially, if I want to do sort of three or four different activities, I could be using a multitude of apps, okay. 20, 10, 15 apps, whatever. Um, that has a tendency to fill the device up. So most schools have small devices, yeah. 16 gig iPads. If you yeah. fill them up with apps, it becomes difficult to store files. Um, other thing with it, I suppose, is that there's complicated workflows. So by workflow, I mean getting the student or the teacher to actually work through the process. There are a number of different steps using a number of different apps. Therefore, the teacher has to be confident and the student has to be confident in actually using each one of those apps in order and know where everything's going. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, cool. So, so what we're going to look at today, so we're going to have a bit, a bit of a discussion around this because obviously uh, the app smashing gets a lot of praise. Um, you know, we're going to look at the pros and cons of it. Yep. Um, so you guys out there can, can make your own minds up and, and decide whether it's right for you. Yep. So I guess, I guess we'll start off with um, the disadvantages of app smashing. So, you know, what do you see as the biggest one? I think the one you just mentioned there, there's loads of apps and the apps can become overpowering. Yeah, I think from a teacher point of view or from, you know, somebody walking in and observing a lesson, I think the, 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 the temptation is to go down the route of focusing on what apps to use as opposed to what the learning outcome needs to be. Okay. So that essentially is the kind of like the, the, you know, the front end to it. But then the rest of it really is, you know, where do you use the apps? When do you use the apps? There's, there could be potentially confusion as to, as to how they're used and where they go. Looking at the way that the files are exported, there's a multitude of different ways of doing that. So it's making sure that the staff and the student know how they're going to be kind of exporting that. And then the big one from that, or result from that, is looking at the assessment. So it can be confusing, especially for more hesitant members of staff. It can be confusing to know how they're going to assess that particular piece of work if they've got students running off and using a load of different apps. Okay, yeah. I guess, I guess one of the things as well is that, you know, every school is a little bit different. And especially in terms of, you know, what, what I'm noticing, the more, the more schools I, I go out and meet, is that you know the lesson times are now changing quite a lot. So some yeah. schools will have forty minute lessons, others still have an hour lesson. Yeah, yeah. Also the difference between primary schools, you know, different phases in primary and secondary. Um, do, you, do you think there are considerations that teachers should and schools should look at before they? Yeah, I think so. Lessons? I mean, yeah, the, the 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 key thing with the the app smashing is is that it can go on. It's flexible enough to be able to go on and on and on. So it's kind of. It goes into that world of sort of project-based or challenge-based learning. 
Um, so it's very open-ended. So again, with a 45-minute lesson, and especially if you've got bookable devices, yeah. it's kind of, you know, how do you manage that and how do you get your staff aware of, of how to quickly produce those kind of things? So, you know, again, that's where those kind of challenges kind of happen. Really. Yeah, so, so App Smashing, a lot of it is, um, uh, it's mainly come from America. So it's an American concept. Uh, American-Canadian educators have pioneered this. And they're probably a little bit ahead of the curve of where the UK is in terms of uh, iPad use in schools. Um, so usually they have a higher adoption rate anyway of technology. Um, they're, they're states by the technology and, and push it down to the schools. Yeah. So they tend to undergo initiatives and then every school is flooded with iPads. I think one of the things you just picked up on there is, you know, a, a lot of schools here in the UK are still using bookable sets. Yeah. And the iPad is a personal device. So there's, there's a sort of conflict there. And one of the key ones would be for me thinking as a teacher is how would I get the, you know, how would I get that content off the device? So even if I you know, do some great app smashing, so what is that in process like? How do I get that content off the device, and how do I market? You know, what what are my options around those? Yeah, and that's uh, that's the that's the tricky element to it, I suppose. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's how do you collect it in? Where is it being collected, and how are you going to assess it? Um, so with those kind of things, most of the iOS devices, particularly, they'll use the camera roll as the kind of the core to it. So yeah. either making video or um, sort of images. Then I suppose the other element to it is then is PDFs um, and being able to export that. If you kind of keep that as the the end game, the end goal as to how you want those, then it becomes quite easy. Okay. Um, but again, it's 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 trying to manage those devices outside of the classroom. So if we now take, you know, Dave. 24, who's really enthusiastic and has got a bookable set, that then bookable set at the end of the day goes to somebody else the next day. It's how do you then wipe those devices back down? It's that mm. kind of workflow. And then if it's going to somebody who's a little bit more hesitant and they may overrun or the you know students get a little bit distracted and go a little bit off task, is how do you then preserve that for then the next one? And that's where the challenge comes. Okay. Yeah, because the typical, the typical route to, to export this this content because usually it's video content yep. um yeah either photographs uh, or posters or pdfs like mentioned yeah but yeah the number one route to go to would be for video content to push it out to somewhere like youtube or vimeo yeah and, and these are typically not accessible in schools at the moment yeah um, that's yeah they tend to be blocked don't they i mean most of most of the places we've we've kind of gone around and seen um youtube's either frowned upon or it's only accessible by staff yeah um and you know they uh, looking, I was looking the other day, and like the average viewing time for a YouTube video is something like one minute thirty-eight, which isn't very long, which is quite nice. Um, but it is now, and in fact, actually, the figures today I think came out as a government statistic saying that people are now consuming more on mobile devices, on smartphones, yeah, than they are on desktops. Um, so again, you know, it's it's kind of that kind of way forward, the YouTube kind of thing. That's where most of the students, in fact, the majority of students are consuming content so why don't you push those out i think that's probably you know a little bit too far for today but we definitely need to cover that yeah some other point yeah i think so i mean it's a good thing on that part that i see is that the schools are in control of that mm -hmm. so yeah schools can can open youtube and start using it or yeah. you know, any other video hosting service one of the things i think about when i see app smashing is you know there's a lot of apps like you mentioned if they're producing video content they're the, they're the biggest files yeah this presents a problem for storage on the yeah. devices yeah, because totally. schools typically only buy 16 gigabyte devices yeah um, mainly because of the you know the cost uh, and you want to get as much technology into the hands of the students 
So are there any other ways that you know, the school might be able to mitigate the, uh, the storage issues that you can see if they've got such keen? Yeah, one, one, thing, one thing I, you know, I do, um, and coming from a DT background, you know, especially with product design, it's very easy for students to go and run away with things. So what we, what we do is essentially just put in limits. Okay. So put in a wall, you know, put in a wall or put in a fence. So for that, for videos, it's very simple. You just limit them to an amount of time. Okay. You just go, look, guys, you've got a one-minute video or you're doing a 30-second advert. You know, and again, viral marketing, most things on Twitter, on, you know, um, Instagram, Vine, are sort of between 10 and 30 seconds. That's a brilliant little kind of video mm -hmm. time. And it doesn't take up any space on the device. You know, you can get... You know, five or ten minutes worth of loads of thirty seconds. You've got yeah. tons of videos on there, tons yeah. of kids' work. And then I suppose we're boiling down that content to the the actual focus point, aren't we? So, yep. so yeah, what, yeah. what we really need to, what the learning objectives, what do we yeah. need to have the students demonstrate on that? Uh, and it sort of, you know, it cuts away all, all the unnecessary elements of it, even yeah. though they might look great. Um, yeah. Yeah, we still got to remember that this is a, a learning task rather than you know a movie making. Yeah. And and I think that's and that's the key really, and that is the most difficult thing. You know, what, what I've seen in, in schools is when they put that boundary on things and even do it for the staff. So staff are making their own tutorials. Actually getting a tutorial down to under a minute is the most difficult thing to do. Yeah. Um, you know, because you've got to look at your words, you've got to look at the pauses, you've got to look at how you're organising everything. And it's it's almost like a, a really refined design exercise. So it's a really good way of doing it, actually. Okay. So this sort of leads us into one of the positives, I guess. And yeah. that, you know, app smashing when used well, can become a sort of project-based learning approach. So it's yeah. more open-ended, um, it, it's student-centered, yeah. and it's differentiated, which I think is probably key, because you know, and every student in the class, if you give them the same task of you know, produce a video on whatever outline of the benefits, yeah. every student's gonna produce something slightly different. Yeah, and I think one of the challenges uh, that schools face now is, is getting students to be independent learners. There's a big buzz around independence, and you have extra exercises and lessons, and projects and courses to deliver independence but actually this kind of way of doing things where you have that multi-choice path that kind of adventure with the apps I think that's the, the, the key way of making students kind of independent learners and, and, and be able to communicate better with each other um, and again that I suppose that also the, the other thing with this is that it opens up the kind of collaborative elements of things and then the, the students self-supporting because if you're giving um, students that open path, they've got to sort the problems out themselves. Staff really don't need to then worry about the apps that they're delivering or shouldn't be worrying about the apps they're delivering and actually letting the students teach each other. Mm -hmm. So there's loads of opportunities in there as well. Yeah. Do you think it's useful for group work and peer-to-peer? -peer? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, the, the, the tricky thing with that then is then looking at how that's assessed. Mm -hmm. So it's making sure there's some sort of record. Um, so typically, you know, typically if you've got group work, the tendency is for like the stronger student who knows or has got an iPad at home or whatever to actually go and do that. So yeah, again, it's, yeah, and again, it's just that the, the, the pedagogical approach of actually as a teacher, I know how to sort of break that up a little bit. So I'm just going to intervene. But again, you know, that kind of approach with this mobile device sort of in the classroom allows and frees staff up to actually then start looking at that, um, you know, which is pretty cool. Yeah, so, so I guess it comes down to, so... Um... So I think app smashing can be really useful, yep. um, but I guess it's got to be designed with that teacher or that school's learning objectives in mind. I think one of the big challenges with iPads is, you know, apps are fantastic and, you know, there's a massive benefit to using them, but it's very easy for the apps and the device to start dictating the learning yep, rather totally. than, 
the the technology support and the learning objectives. And uh, yeah, AppSmash, I think, probably takes that to a step further because we're, we're starting to look at locked-in workflows. Yeah. So you've got, you, know, you start somewhere, you produce a piece of content and, and you export that out. And then I guess you, you know, it's a challenge trying to wrap learning objectives around it yeah. if they don't entirely match. So I, I guess it teaches a look into start dabbling in AppSmash and then, you know, chaining the workflows together. You know, what would you, what sort of advice would you give them? So again, you know, coming from a, a, a sort of an engineering product design thing, it's, it's keeping it simple. You know, the, the more complicated you make it, the more the opportunities there are for things to get cocked up and all that kind of stuff. So for me, it's you know have a core of, of apps that all your staff are aware of, and again, keep that simple. So something for creating content. So for example, the camera app, even on its own, is perfectly fine for creating managing that. Um, explain everything is awesome. Have something for managing content. So that could be just a folder on a network to hold everything or you know, Dropbox or something like that. And then finally, something for assessing. So an app or a process for assessing the content that you've made and managed. Um, focus on the teaching and learning. And basically, make sure all staff are singing off the same hymn sheet because it could be, you know, if you just put yourself in the shoes of a student for a second, and they're going around to all these other classes. They've got 15, 20 classes to go to in secondary school, or they're moving from year five to year six in primary. They need to be able to have that flow and understand that it's the same in every lesson. And again, it's that uniformity, and that's what schools are good at doing with their staff, is making sure staff are all on board. But essentially with this, it, it becomes a crucial point of, actually, you should have a, a simple workflow that all your staff can tap into, be yeah. that... You know, somebody who's had 20 years of PowerPoint experience or 20 years of Facebook, you know, it doesn't matter, but just make sure that's, that's the case. Okay, brilliant. Cool. Yeah, I think the final thing you touched on there is the staff as well. Yep. So app smashing, obviously, a lot of it looks towards the learning and the students, but obviously the staff are an integral part of it because, mm -hmm. yeah, they're 50% they're of the conversation. They've got to deliver these lessons. And uh, there might be an over overestimation about staff skills yep. when it comes to mobile devices and iPads and this sort of thing and this probably comes from the fact that yeah most people have these in their personalized lives now so you know schools and, and senior leadership teams might just assume that their teachers can start using them to teach with when in reality it's a very different skill set yeah um and i know previously you've mentioned to me there's, a, there's three different types of or three different groups of staff that you'll find in a school and, and just people in life in general when they're adopting technology yeah, I mean, there's there's loads of there's loads of different analogies for this. There's like a desert island one and all these kind of things. But there's there's one which is an old marketing term, which is walkers, runners, and sprinters. Um, so sprinters are the people that are already out there doing wonderful stuff. They're the people that are on Twitter already, sharing resources, making tutorials. Yeah, so these are the early adopters, right? Yeah, they're early adopters. iPad on yeah. day one. Yeah, and they're out there and they're just doing wonderful stuff. And they tend to be the ones that you know show all these wonderful workflows and you know complicated steps and wonderful bits of kit at the end of it then in the middle we've got the runners so they're the kind of people that are quite happy with technology quite happy with using it quite happy with, with getting going but they they test it and they're a little bit more yeah, wait, wait for proof yeah yes. yeah proof of concept um and then finally then you've got the walkers they're the kind of um hesitant ones they're the ones that refine a process um and you know really concentrate on the actual you know teaching and learning and, and how does the technology actually enhance that um, what you know, what you find really is is with those kind of guys is that you know they're, they're embedded with a particular piece of technology. It's very difficult to move you know move across to different ones because they're still waiting for that proof of you know um, proof of concept with it. 
what we've found is, or what I find is, is most schools have a small percentage, and you'll probably give me the, the figures and stuff for it, but most, you know, most are walkers. Yeah. Um, and there are a small mi- minority that are runners and sprinters. Um, but it's, it's very key from a, from a strategy level or from an SLT level to, to make sure everyone is kind of on board with it. I think that's the difficult thing. Yeah, well, they reckon they're early adopters or sprinters in this case. It only makes up about 10% of the population. Mm-hmm. And they kind of pull these figures out from, you know, when new technology, the iPad or the iPhone was launched, how many people adopt it in the system. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that, that seems to ring true in schools as well. Yeah. So you've got, you know, generally about 10% of staff who are, are very confident with the device, who will go and push the boundaries with it. And, you know, they're really going to see what's capable, what it's capable of. But I think that the point to remember for a lot of schools is that, you know, that's 90% pretty yeah. much who aren't in that phase, will need more support, will need proof or an, an, an evidence before they start adopting yeah, yeah, this definitely. technology. And, you know, what I've seen happen more often than not is, you know, the, the sprinters, these early adopters are put in charge of these projects and they go off and find loads of wonderful things. But then perhaps they you know, blaze a trail too far ahead for yeah. some of the other yeah. for some of the other staff to follow them. Um, so what advice would you give, you know, if a, if a school is going to come back in September or if teachers are getting iPads for the first time in you know, the new term, you know, as a whole school sort of approach, whether it's primary, secondary, you know, a department, a year group, what would the sort of three key takeaways be from you to them to, to really help them get used to the iPads and then maybe start dabbling in app smashing, but, but most of all, keep it relevant to the learning objectives that the school have got? Yeah, so sort of like, you know, like a long-term approach really is, is key, you know, that, that first day back after September and doing one-off training just doesn't work. Um, so a, a sustained approach, a planned approach, you know, as, as an SLT member, you know, you, you, you sit and you plan a whole year, two years, three years down the line. That, that doesn't seem to be the case with CPD in schools. So yeah. for me, instantly, that's the, that's the, the sort of instant one. Um, I suppose from, from then on, really, it's, it's making sure that if you've got a leadership group or, a, you know, most schools will have like a, a group of people that are enthusiastic about using an iPad or a mobile device. And they'll go around school and they'll test out things. It's making sure that you've got a good mix of people in there. Mm. So you've got your walkers, your runners, your sprinters, all within that one group that are all at different levels within the school. So you have people who are at SLT level who are going to really just use it for monitoring and making notes and that kind of stuff, all the way through to TAs and sort of even students on board. So that, that kind of works quite nicely. Okay. Um, and then... I think finally, really, from a classroom point of view, from a t- for, you know takeaway for a teacher, really watching this is keep it simple, keep to a minimum number of apps, and focus on the teaching and learning, um, and and what you actually want to achieve. The you know what, what's the learning that's going on in the classroom, and not how many apps am I going to use, and what apps am I going to use for this. It's actually what do the, what do I want the kids to actually learn, and that when you boil everything else down and you get rid of all of everything else out of the equation, that's exactly what teachers do, isn't it? Yeah, excellent. Nice. Good stuff. Yeah, I think that's a good good summary of both sides of the argument. Yeah, um, follow up. It's good stuff. Yeah. So, so what we'd really like is you know to hear from you guys out there. If you're listening on YouTube, then obviously leave us some comments. If you're on the podcast, then you can find us on uh, Facebook forward slash LearnMaker UK. Um, we'd love to hear from you whether you've used that smashing in your classroom or you know what your experiences are with it, yep. and really get this discussion moving along. Uh, thanks for listening. I've been Jay, and I'm James. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the LearnMaker podcast. 
at learnmaker.co.uk.